You know, people are talking about what they call pure O. Sounds sexy. It's not. Welcome to the Neurotic Tornado Podcast. This is season four. Gone through various incarnations, but it's either me talking to my wife about marital issues or me talking with my friend Jackie to other couples and how they manage to work things out. And now we're at season four where I'm, my wife is back in the attic and we're going to talk about marriage stuff, but also just therapy stuff. She's a therapist and I'm a person who needs a lot of therapy, not from her, but from professional therapists outside of the house. And uh, I've got a novel coming out in June of 2022. And as I approach that date, I'm kind of getting messed up in all these classic ways that I used to get messed up about. And so I kind of wanted to work through it. This time, my wife talks to me about obsessive thinking and OCD. And it turns out I have some problematic obsessive thinking that seemed fun to work through here up in the attic. Yeah, I know. I have a really weird idea of what sounds fun. Anyway, here we go. How many years has this been? Wait, I should be tracking that shit. Yeah, from listening to the, our last podcast that I think you, didn't you send that one out into the world? Yeah, it was so confusing because it was like, we did that three years ago talking about what we did six years prior. And I sat on that thing for a year. I don't know. All yeah, I, don't I know, know. I don't know if the math checks out. But nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah. So we're starting over. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah, I don't even know what our our tropes are or what our cliches are. Like, aren't you supposed to say, are we, is this thing on or are no, we recording? No, you say, I say, are we recording? And and I make some dumb joke. Later on, you add something. Oh. I think I might need a, like a horn or something so I can go like a ooga or something. Really? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, why are we here today? If, if, if we could play an 80s song about obsession... <laughs> That might help. You can. <laughs> I know you can do that. You are so we are going to talk about obsession. I think initially when we, I don't, you know, I can't say how it happened that um, for you, like living with a mental health therapist, you're subjected every now and then to, to me just coming over and kind of diagnosing you. And somehow you, as, I don't know, the creator you are, you were like, well, we should talk about that in a podcast sometime. Like, <laughs> yeah. Both of those things are a little strange. I like that. Yeah, but usually my reaction is like, fuck you for psychoanalyzing me, and maybe we should record this. Right. <laughs> Although, I don't know if you make the fuck you so clear yeah. at the time I'm doing it. Do you think, like, do you remember the first time you suggested that I might have the obsession part of obsessive-compulsive disorder? I don't think so. If only I kept chart notes on our marriage. Do you? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't remember either. I just remember you suggesting it, and I remember the feeling of, like, why the fuck are you saying that? I don't have that. Because I just thought of it as the cliché, checking the stove over and over again. Like you can't leave the house because you keep checking that the stove is off. Yeah. So I thought this is just, you're, you just learned a new thing and you, everybody you look at has this problem, which is maybe also partly true too. I mean, but. there is, I, I do see more um, obsessive thinking 
and OCD. And, and while some people I see have have um, traditional OCD where they check the locks and, you know, do different compulsions, you know, people are talking about what they call pure O, which isn't actually, there's, there's compulsions. Sounds sexy. It's not. There's um, compulsions that are involved with that. They're just all mental, like reviewing things or making podcasts is one of them. No, not really. I definitely don't have that, that because is, that's not true. I do one every four years. Um, just to make sure I'm tracking, there's the obsession part, and then there's the compulsion part. And I think I jam those together. You help me understand there's two elements to this. Yeah. What, they, what the culture thinks OCD is has a lot to do with the compulsions, like the physical actions that people feel compelled to do. And... They feel compelled to do them because it's a, an attempt to soothe themselves from obsessive thoughts. And so even though it certainly is painful to feel compelled to, to do physical acts, the real pain is the obsessive thoughts that you're trying to soothe, right? And a, a lot of those, you know, those thoughts can be negative thoughts about self. I haven't read everything that's written about OCD, but there's some question about how it happens clinically or, you know, whether it's genetic or, you know, it appears to be something that that people have and that it's not your fault. It takes a long time for many people to be diagnosed with it. And so, so for you, you know, the theory is that you have obsessive thoughts that you are trying to soothe with certain mental behaviors, but that yours doesn't go into the physical behaviors. So I'm not checking the stove, but I'm still like trying to deal with this uh, thing racing through my head or yeah, yeah, and I think although I know I was offended at first, then I just I I quickly raced through like I'm constantly doing this where like whether it's the voice in my head going you're an idiot you're an idiot you're an idiot for just like one like dumb thing I said to the cashier uh, like the whole day I'd be like going through it and I'll even sometimes like make sounds out loud like ah, because I can't stop looping on that uh, and. And, or I'm imagining that I'm driving off the bridge, and I can't stop thinking about that for the next 10 minutes of the drive. And I have to, like, sometimes just make an audible sound. Sometimes I know my kid is like, what? I'd be like, <laughs> oh, nothing. But really, I've just been imagining driving off the bridge 100 times in my head and can't stop. Yeah. Is that obsessive? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the difference, I think, I, uh, everyone has those kinds of thoughts. And the difference between someone who has obsessive thinking and doesn't is that you thought about it for 10 minutes. Like I might consider as I drive over a bridge, I could drive off this bridge right now. And then that thought is gone for me. I see. So you don't think like a thousand times after an encounter, like it would be a bad idea to lick that person's elbow and then you just can't stop (laughs) thinking about that for no reason. I don't think about licking people's elbows uh, too much, but I might, um, you know, I might have an interaction with a cashier where I think, uh, oh, I, they probably think I'm an idiot, and then I, that's it. Really? Yeah. You just can move on from there? Yeah. You should brood on that. Yeah. So it's not that uh, that people don't have the negative thought or the extreme thought, like driving off the bridge. It's just it doesn't stick. Where for folks with obsessive thinking, yeah, it sticks. I mean, it's not like every thought sticks, but you know, different for different people. But certain yeah. thoughts stick. Well, different people, I think, have different 
um, flavors of bad thoughts. And um, they're really unnerving to people because they are uh, separate from who the person is. And so some of them are like uh, thinking, obsessing about harming someone or um, harming a kid or something. And that's so divorced from who the person is. But that even increases the painful thinking. Yeah, I know I do that, where I think of me doing something horrible that I would never do. And so, one, I can't stop thinking about that thing. And then two, I feel awful about myself because I'm like, if I thought it, I must be that bad. Right. Um, Yeah, that happens to me every week, probably. What about rereading, like, obsessive, like, I'll send an email that I'm like, did I disrespect them? Did I say something too inappropriate? And I'll reread that email like 30 times over the next hour. Is that a, is that obsessive? <laughs> yeah. So is that just right, what you need to do with, in the world of email? No, that's not what you need to do. <laughs> like you sent it already. Whatever you said, it's done. Right? Yeah, you, but who's going to spend finished. time worrying about it? Like that's right? an important part of the process. Yeah. I see. So that's that's obsessive. And again, hmm. I think probably everybody, if they send a very important email that, you know, to someone that has some power to affect their life, like a publisher or um, like a job interview, that they might go back and review, like, what did I say? Did I say everything right? Did it, you know, a couple, a couple of times or once, but not. Not 30 times. Uh, so I could do it 29 times is what you would say. No. <laughs> and uh, so the compulsion, like, so is there the checking on the email, is that is there some compulsion to that or is that That still? is the compulsion. The compulsion is yeah. checking. Okay. The painful thought is. The painful thought is, oh, my God, maybe I said something bad. Right. So that's the surface part of that thought. The deeper part of that thought is. Um. I'm a terrible person, and this person is going to hate me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, like, you know I have a book coming out. What? <laughs> yeah, there's a novel coming out. Yeah. But I notice, like, everything is heightened in that realm. Like, I notice, like, if there's a review... Like, I'll read it 30 times to double-check. Do they hate me? Do they like me? But whether it's good or bad, I can't stop circling on it sometimes. Yeah. So it's like sometimes, is that obsessive? Like, even like, I got one review that I expect, I somehow thought was going to be bad and it was good. And I kept reading it to be like, do they still like me? Do they still like me? They like me. They like me. Is that obsessive? I would say yes. Like if you told me that you were rereading this positive review you got from a like well-known reviewer in order to to um fill yourself with like goodness. Like look, I got a good review. Like let's let that sink in. Let's ignore critics. But like here's a major critic like take that feeling in. But you're not trying to take that feeling in in a way. You're just trying to fend off the part of you that's going well he probably hated it i probably missed the part where yeah. he hated it or, yeah okay i mean so i think you have obsessive thinking and you you just what? have talked about uh some compulsions and again not like flicking the light switch but like you know reviewing emails but i'm even curious you know in your book your character is obsessed with the novel he's writing and 
it's like he even admits it's like ruined his marriage. <clears throat> uh, no, That's just kidding. Not true. Just kidding. Uh, it's ruined his. You're marriage. very tolerant to that. Like I write these really autobiographical stories, but the relationships are always like wildly different than our relationship. Yes, and you seem to not. That doesn't bug you, and I'm I'm very appreciative that you don't oh. mind. This dude is divorced, but has a lot of characteristics like me. But our marriage is still right. And his not, wife, not and his like wife, ha- his ex-wife has a few characteristics of mine. Or you know, I but see his stuff hot date also has a lot of oh, characteristics yeah, of you. So true. okay, but at the same to, time, it's not. I don't think it's you, and I don't think it's me. Back to my novel, I only cry with emoticons. That's coming out June of 2022. Yeah. So your guy in there obsesses about his book. You know, I guess I question whether or not there's some gift of obsessiveness. Like, if we just look at, like, a way your brain behaves, you have a remarkable ability to focus on, like, whatever you choose to be the task at hand. Like a video game. I can tell you're joking, but a video game is true. You do get really, and you get obsessed, and I I kind of love it where your eyes get, like, all excited and you're um want to tell me some detail that um will make utterly no sense to you i'm never gonna know (laughs) firsthand uh about a video game that you love but i mean even more like as you work your ability to do videos or your ability to write or your you have a much greater ability than i do to um focus on something you want to focus on where i'm I don't have the obsessive thinking that you do. Not that I'm not able to, you know, obsess about something, but I'm also way more distractible than you do. Like doing that focused work is harder for me. So your guy in your book, Saul, it ruins his life or, you know, it ruins his marriage falls apart and all that because of it threatens his life. Yeah. And it threatens his life. Like even his wife is, you know, wants to have his kid more and he kind of i mean that's just anyway that's part of what happens in the book i don't think your obsession here at home is hurtful to our relationship yeah it's a little more functional than the the character in the book but i think there are times when you set priorities that even it's time-based where you're like between three and six today this is my priority and then if i come up and i'm like hey can we Checking about this, you're kind of like... I give I you this eat shit look, like, what know. are you doing in the attic? Yeah, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and, you know, you're clearly, like, off somewhere else. Yeah. It, and you don't want to come back for this discussion. You're like, can we have it later? I actually think it's a gift of yours. But so I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, if obsession has its Oh, its benefits. benefits. I see. There's like controlled obsession where you can bound it, but you can pull out of it. Maybe it's the ability to step in and out of this headspace. That is what makes it healthy. And then the unhealthy is the one that you can't control. Yeah. Maybe. Is there something like that? Well, could it be like there are two sides of the same coin? Like you get a, I mean, I haven't read anything about like the gifts of OCD, but. It's your next book. Yeah, that's right. Could it be that that's it really isn't because uh, I can't focus long enough to write a book? Uh, could it be that the obsessive thinking that's actually really painful mm, allows your brain to know how to function in a way that you are able? I don't think every I don't know that everybody is, but you are able to apply to a different subject. Yeah, that so uh, makes sense. It like yeah. it has a behavior that is 
terrible at sometimes and also useful. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't I had thought of it being good. I, but, had, uh, I hadn't either. But that's interesting. I do think there's similar qualities, you know, whether we call it obsession or not. But I guess, you know, we do in casual conversation, you know, where it's like, I was so obsessed with this thing. You know, like I made a 40-minute video about the hero's journey in Red Dead Redemption. And I probably in that video four times mentioned my obsession with that thing. Yeah. And that... That didn't fuck up our our marriage or, you know. Yet. <laughs> or a lot, just a little. No, uh, I can't believe how yeah. patiently you tolerated watching that whole thing. That was, it was pretty fabulous. Uh, but, yeah, I think I like that idea. And, you know, like the characters I write, like in I Only Cry With Emoticons and, and my first book, too. I like to think about, like, some of the characteristics I have gone awry a little bit. You know, it's like, what if we took this... Yeah a notch further. So the thing that, you know, it's like in our life, it was a near miss. Like I could have gone down this destructive direction, but either because of my own work or a lot of times it's you talking us through it. Like you bringing to my awareness, the negative qualities of a behavior make me learn how to be better. I think the thing that caught my attention about OCD was that it's, you know, a lot of the uh, therapeutic, a lot of the work I do with my therapy clients is more about depth. Like, oh, you have this painful belief and where did it come from? Like, where do these habits come from? Like, you know, what's the genesis of them? And that's actually not how, that's not the way to work with OCD. The way to work with OCD is to be mindful about your obsessions, which you're just talking about doing with your... Nice. I did it correctly. Yeah. Okay. And you can't get yourself to stop thoughts because if you try to keep yourself from thinking something that you're thinking, it just like... Yeah, that doesn't work. Bigger. I know that. But there's somehow you have to detach from it a little bit that those obsessive thoughts seem really important. They, they have some kind of message attached to them like, this is vital that you think about this and that... You kind of have to detach from the importance and instead be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessing about an email again, just like you said. Uh, this isn't going to matter to the other person. And I don't know, have a way from detaching from it. So you actually had a lot of therapy in your history, but there's something it didn't help with. And I think you got some great depth work that you really appreciated, and yet it didn't take away your painful, obsessive thinking yeah. The thing is, those obsessive thoughts that you have, and that many people have, just like I said, people have obsessive thoughts that they might hurt someone when that's not their intention and they're never going to do it. You have obsessive thoughts about yourself that are painful and they're inaccurate, but you, you don't know that they are, and they tell you how important they are. So learning to detach from those yeah. It's not it's not easy to do but it's different does that make sense it's different than going after the genesis it's more it's more interest in the current behavior which i think in a way like there's some part of that doesn't feel great to the recipient yeah because you're basically saying this thing that i've said to myself a thousand times is wrong and you know part of me is like the obsessive voice saying to hell with you this is right i know i'm an idiot here's why but it's like 
it's like disrespectful to this giant part of me. Yeah. And sometimes I respond, my first response is usually that, like sticking up for this thought process. Like you say, I don't know if that's really, they're not really upset with you the way you think they are, whoever I'm thinking. And um, part of me uh, is offended, you know, like, Stop Stop discrediting. The, this voice is loud and strong and confident. It feels really important. Yeah. Like it feels so important. To, but usually the side that I'm holding is what you would prefer to believe. Yeah, it would be way more convenient to, to believe that they all those people don't think I'm an idiot. Yeah. But one thing that helps is when I say that stuff out loud, some of it, diminishes just by saying it out loud because then i realize like when i hear it out loud i can hear the absurdity of it yeah like that cashier is probably still not thinking about me (laughs) four days later right because i said insert funny awkward thing here but you know but you know it's like i say it out loud and i realize like oh this is nonsense like even if i kind of still believe it I also am aware that it's kind of ridiculous. So, yeah. So, I mean, part of what you did was make me even experiment with saying stuff out loud. Like when I was freaking out, I forgot a month ago when I called you and I called my friend Jackie, but talking through something I was going through where whatever I was upset with related to book publishing and things not going perfectly. I got so stuck on how worthless I was and I couldn't let go. But talking to you about it allowed me to just say, like, this can't be as bad as I'm making it sound. Like, I have a wonderful family, friends, people who I love to be around. Yeah. Um, This one dumb thing that I can barely remember now, but a month ago was huge, can't be this devastating. Yeah. But but talking it out loud helped even before the other person says you're being ridiculous in right. their graceful way, you know, not not in those words. Right. At one point I read about part of how therapy is useful is that one way we take in information is by hearing it and that you, when you yeah, Sorry. when you hear yourself say things, you actually are experiencing them in a different way than when you think them. Yes. And so you are like learning something from yourself that somehow you didn't learn when it was all in your head. Yeah. And well, I know this from the writing group, you know, in the, the, the kind of writing group that I'm in, which we were in as well, that style of writing group where you read your stuff out loud to the other writers. The thing I love about that is when I read it out loud alone in a room, There's one level of processing, which is useful. But when I read it out loud and I know other people are listening, before they say or do anything, I'm already taking in how I imagine other actual humans are taking it in. So it's like having an audience, even before they respond, is different. And is is that just all in your, like what you imagine that they're thinking or is part of it? Like in the group that we were in, you know, you could hear people like laugh or kind of like, you know, you hear their little responses. It's both. Like, I think their responses are big and you can take that in. But even just the second the stuff comes out, I'm already thinking, how are they going to take it, take it in? And so even that is a step towards 
something outside of this yeah, spiral in right. my head. And the reaction helps too. But I just noticed that like reading to the mirror is so different than reading to an mm. actual person. As much yeah. as I try to mimic it, it, I can't do that. Yeah, that's interesting. Like when I'm reading just the thing I read two days ago in my writing group, like I just read the sentence and immediately I was like, that doesn't sound like the character. Uh, But, you know, that happens all the time where it's like, I know how y'all are feeling before. It's like I'm in the audience with them. But they're not with you when you're listening to it on your own. Yeah, it's different. And I think with the obsession stuff, it's like talking to somebody I trust even before they respond, um, kind of helps process that stuff and turn it into something a little less crazy. Yeah, nice. I just want to say is that like a kind of disclaimer that even though I did come to you and say, can we talk about whether or not you have OCD? And we went through, uh, you know, some list I have of obsessions and compulsions. And Oh, yeah, I should link to that. And um, you had a surprising... You agreed to like things you've never ever told me that you thought, but I'm not. I don't try to be your therapist. Oh right, yeah, right. yeah. You're you you understand the boundaries pretty well of how the proper way to be a therapist, who you can be a therapist to. Right. right. But I did feel like I had to like when I perceived some of the stuff I was perceiving, I kind of got excited because I I think oh this is a different kind of therapy than you've done, and also I think you could suffer less than you suffer. Oh, well, let's let's not go crazy. Uh, well, I, but I do think what you did kind of sparked me to get a, to see a therapist again for the first time in over five years because I realized like these obsessions were starting to get worse as I was approaching as I approached the book launch, and so I was like, I, I'm going to be a wreck in 2022 if I don't yeah get a hold of this. So I mean, I just went, I got a uh, therapist. Yeah. Uh, because of it. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense that you wouldn't be my therapist. I just don't want our, I just don't want our listeners to think that, that I'm trying to play that role for you. I can only come to you with it, but then I have how to you manage it is... Do what I need to do with it, yeah. yeah. And you mentioned our listeners. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know how, this, how this goes. <laughs> it's probably just Jackie out there. All right. One thing that didn't occur to me until we started talking here is that you came to me with a a test that I was supposed to take to see if I have these obsessive qualities. Yeah. Um, And it was kind of a fun test and made me realize like, oh, I do a lot of these things. And I just thought, oh, everybody spirals in these ways in their head constantly. So I didn't actually know this was unusual until I scored pretty high on that test. Yeah. Um, so that helped too. That is like this outside thing, unless you wrote the test. <gasps> um, no, but this outside objective thing um, kind of revealed, like, oh, maybe I do have some obsessions. Well, and then I think that that thing that we're talking about is not a test. It's more like a list of obsessions and compulsions. But like it picked up some obsessions that this is, you know, some of the stuff you've never you never had told me about. I mean, it's pretty hard to say, like, hey, by the way, sometimes I think about hurting people. I just wanted to, I'm never going to do it, but I just wanted, I'm totally ashamed of it, but I just wanted you to know. Like, I think it's hard to, I would never mention, I don't mention to you, like, oh, when I drove across the bridge today, I thought of driving off it for a minute. 
that thought is inconsequential. I'm never going to do it. So I think it makes sense that you didn't tell them to me, but somehow looking at this list, like revealed some things that. Yeah. Even that same week you told me that, like a few days prior, I think I might've even offended you slightly where you were saying something to me. And in the middle of you saying something, I went like shook my head and made a sound. Um, And I said, oh, it's nothing when you said what? Right. It was because I got stuck in a loop of like either hurting myself or hurting someone else just for 20 seconds. And I couldn't shake that thought process. Well, it's great that you've developed a like coping strategy for how to shake yourself out of that thought. Yeah, you just shake your head and go, (laughs) (laughs) It's invisible. No no one will notice. Good thing this is on a podcast. Yeah. So when I was living in Atlanta, I had a friend who came out while I was friends with him. And it was so delightful for him to be out. And I, for a period of time, he just thought everyone's problem was that they needed to come out as gay and that would solve all their issues. And we joked about it a little because he was kind of aware of this, you know, that he was like kind of serious and kind of joking about this with everyone he saw who had any issue of any kind. Uh, And so anyway, I was just kind of wondering if any of that applies to OCD. You discovered OCD, and I've heard you talk to a lot of people, you know, know, whether it's clients or friends, about whether or not they're obsessive or compulsive or both. Um, How how have you navigated things now that you've discovered this OCD-ness? Yeah, when I first um, did more reading about OCD and, and, I don't know, understood it better, I don't know, it really explained to me kind of this spiral of this, I think OCD obsessive thinking often has this spirally feeling where you're just like going down into like it's getting worse and worse. And and so both with my therapy clients and then with civilians. And our cats. (laughs) When I first understood more about OCD and started doing more reading about it and understanding what the best evidence-based practice is for it, I did start seeing it everywhere, and I I have talked to many people about it, both about themselves and my, you know, or like I've talked to my clients about it. Often I do preface it with like, I'm currently, like, I've just learned some more about OCD, and so I have no other way to say it, but I'm a little obsessed with it. And so asking people, you know, do you think you have it? Some of the people I asked are like, oh, I know I do. I I really think I do, and it really seemed like a huge relief to them to identify that. Sometimes they had it in a particular flavor and just even identifying. It's kind of interesting to identify like, yeah, you have some wrong thinking in this area. Like we can't find any um, evidence. I can't find evidence to think this is true. Just like you where you're like, I have a family and friends who love me. Like the evidence of what your painful obsessive thought is just isn't there. But so as I've gone on in time, you know, I have some people who I feel like they have obsessive thinking, but they really are clear, like, I don't have the compulsion part, and they aren't identifying the mental compulsion part. Right, that's sneakier, or trickier to identify. It is, and it gets crossed over, like, which one is the obsessive thought and which one is the compulsion. Right. So I did some reading, and obsessive thinking can also be present in anxiety, like generalized anxiety disorder, probably many other disorders as well. And the research article I read said that people with OCD feel more guilty about their obsessive thinking. People with anxiety who have obsessive thinking don't feel guilty about it. (laughs) I'm going to have to process that one. I think because 
some of the OCD stuff can be more extreme, like thinking about hurting people. And the anxiety thoughts maybe feel like they're more in the realm of reality. Like, I think that you have obsessive thinking about related to our kid and their well-being. And if they have a problem, like even if they say their knee hurts, you have a level of worry about it. It just turns up for you because you, you care about them so much. They're so important to you. That's something else that what you care about the most, OCD, like an obsessive thing and just That's attaches where it festers. to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you don't feel guilty about the thoughts. I bet you don't feel guilty about the thoughts you have about our kid. Thoughts of concern. Yeah. Obsessions of concern. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting to me, like, oh, it can be present in anxiety. It still is the treatment of it. Like, instead of saying this is a really true, true thing, and it's very important to kind of be able to detach from it and give yourself more choice around it. Like, you worry about our kid, but you take actions based on that. Like, then you call uh, their, their, pri- their primary care doctor or you, you know, you do something related to that. And I bet you kind of put the worry to rest in a way when you can. So calling a doctor is different than rereading an email 30 times. Why? Because calling a doctor produces an effect where you get your child looked at, and rereading an email that you've already sent 30 times has no purpose. I see. But they're both obsessions. One is just an no, anxiety. No. Well, I think I think that there's an obsession about did I offend this person? And I'm going to check my email. That's the compulsion. The obsessive thought about the child results in a useful action. But it's still an obsession, right? It's just, it still know, could so, be destruct, just as destructive an obsession. You know, so I, I bet you still lose some sleep at night sometime about our kid. Yeah, I like to think about our older kid when he was going from a private school to a public school in middle school. That first day where I was up all night worrying how hard it would be. And I remember at the breakfast table going, how are you doing? Is it going okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I just remember him (laughs) saying, actually, I was up all night. You were like, I was up all night. And he was like, UV, I'm going to be fine. (laughs) It's like an eighth grade kid telling his dad, (laughs) you're chill out. Right. Uh, It's going to be okay. Like he was the one reassuring you. Yeah, that's funny. So that's an Seventh grade. So that's an example of some obsessive thinking. Again, the, there was no useful action. Yeah. But whether there's a useful or action or not, I feel like there, there's still something in the same category of, I mean, maybe there's a whole spectrum of how destructive it is to obsess. You know, yeah. like, even if it's it ends up being like, I call the doctor and I get them an appointment, there's still like... Well, you know, I guess this blurs with anxiety for me because it's like my chest gets tight. I can't stop thinking about it. There's like I can't concentrate on anything. So even if I end up having a constructive response, like the call the doctor is constructive, whereas the read the email 57 times that you already sent is not constructive. But there's a lot of similarity. You're still you're still in pain. Yeah, right. That, I guess that's it. And one of them, though, has a little bit more of like, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful. So yeah. there's there's another element there. Whereas maybe the other one is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we got to take care of this. You know, so it almost has the same noise, even yeah. though one, you're eating into who you are. 
But, yeah. But the other is, I don't know, maybe there's just different flavors. I think you're actually flavors. identifying something really, that feels really accurate. One is eating who you are, like you're terrible. You know, there's something about you. You'll never, you, you know, all these painful, obsessive thoughts. The other one is painful too, but I mean, anxiety, a lot of anxiety has to do with, you know, prediction of a negative outcome. Right. And so it's still painful to imagine that things are going badly. Yeah. It just, all I'm saying is the people, not everyone with obsessive thinking has OCD. See, I got a little bit different than your friend who came out. Like you can have obsessive thinking. It could still be, could still be bad and painful for you. And you could, it would still benefit you to learn to detach from it. I see. So obsessive thinking does not mean you have OCD, but now could you have OCD without the C part? Like, does that still count? Yeah. So you could have the obsessive part of OCD, and you'd be diagnosed as OCD. That's possible? I don't know. I don't know. I think this is something people are um, discussing, whether or not pure, uh, pure O, as they call it, involves mental compulsions, because those are so much harder to catch. The thing, the reason it's so hard for me to hear, like whenever I think of pure O, I just think, oh my God. Uh, I was like so horny the other day, and when we hooked up, uh, that <laughs> orgasm was just like pure O. <laughs> is that right? It's uh, that is not what they're talking about. But, <laughs> okay, uh, it is. Uh, it is maybe not the best. The best name, name for just the obsessive part. Even if they call it pure obsession, it would it would uh, take away that uh, you know that association. I do think pure O. Pure is. O. Well, on that note, should we wind things down? Yeah. You think we should do this more frequently, like once every two years instead of? <laughs> no. I was hoping we actually cover a few topics. You know, there's this was mostly about obsession, then there's like anxiety, and there's dread, and there's chronic pain, and there's a lot of like a few subjects I thought it'd be fun to chat with you about. Yeah. Ah, I'm, I have a list. I'm I'm down. Nice. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe you'd be down for coming up to the attic again soon. As long as you're willing to spill the tea. Is that is that a euphemism or an expression or literally? No, it's that is slang. I'm trying to What's that utilize mean? slang. And, oh yeah, you told yeah. me what it was and I already forgot. What yeah, does it mean? It means to like you know, to give the juice or the gossip. Okay, so it doesn't have anything to do with spilling testosterone. You are way, way <laughs> off base. I'm not good with these letter these letter things. Okay, well, thanks so much, honey, for coming to this place. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Now I'm going to worry about this. 